Good evening, and welcome to the Revelation Power Podcast. I'm Kevin Hopkins, your author and host, and tonight we finish up John chapter 15 and start John chapter 16. This last little paragraph in John chapter 15 kind of ties a bow around everything that Jesus has said so far in the chapter and then introduces the first thought in chapter 16, which I think really kind of belongs uh, with this last paragraph in John 15. So we're going to look at them that way and put them together. So he started John chapter 15 talking about the Holy Spirit. He was the true vine. We are to draw our life from that original call it the OV instead of the OG, the original gangster. It's the original vine. We are to draw our life from that stalk of the original vine. In order to help us do that, he will send us the Holy Spirit who will guide us into all truth and allow us to live by his greatest commandment that we love one another. Understanding that the world is going to hate us. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of love. The empire of the world is an empire of hatred. If you need any evidence of that truth, just look at social media. It doesn't matter which platform. All of social media is motivated by argument, division, discord, and honestly, hatred. The kingdom isn't supposed to work that way. That's why it's discouraging when you see Christians involved in division and hatred. When you see Christians calling other Christians names because they're not Christian enough. Or members of a political party calling other members of their political party names because they're not that political party enough. It, it's gotten to the point in our society where we, we divide people over the slightest of differences. And the slightest of difference is a reason for despising someone, for hating them. And so we, we live out Jesus' words. If they hated me, don't be surprised when they hate you. And who hated Jesus? The church people. The people who claimed to know God were the people who hated Jesus. And if you dig very deeply into the Bible and start to try and act as Jesus called us to act, it won't be the world that hates you. It'll be the same people that hated Jesus. It'll be the people who want control over religion and religious people. And when they can no longer control you, well, they'll hate you. So in John chapter 15, moving over into 16, Jesus reminds his disciples of what he said when he said, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Verse 26, when the advocate comes, When the defender comes, when the friend comes, because that's 
who the Holy Spirit is. He's our, he's our friend to walk with us through this hateful, broken, lost world and to, and to show us what it is that God would have us to do. He is the friend of all of those who belong to Christ. A few years ago, there was a really popular worship chorus. I am a friend of God. And that was really, those were the words to just about the entire chorus. I'm a friend of God. I'm a friend of God. I'm a friend of God. He calls me friend. And then it repeated. And a lot of my Christian friends said, that's not biblical. That's not scriptural. That's petty. That's cheap. Why would we sing such a thing? Well, this is why. Because you are so much God's friend that he sent the Holy Spirit so that he can walk with you every moment of every minute of every hour of every day of your life. You are a friend of God. So much so that he wants to walk with you for every decision, for every word. Indeed, to the extent the Bible teaches that every thought would be taken captive to Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit. He wants to be that intimately involved with you. That's how good a friend he wants to be to you. It's a lot deeper than the song signifies, but the song isn't wrong. Who am I that you are mindful of me, that you hear me when I call. Is it true that you are thinking of me? How you love me. It's amazing. I am a friend of God. When you think of it without the catchy little tune, it really is spot on. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. The Spirit of Truth from the Father spends a lot of time making sure that you and I understand who this advocate is. He will testify on my behalf. Now, to testify here means to affirm, to, to prove. It's a, it's a legal term. He will step up and back up everything that I've said. He'll get on the stand and he will, he will testify to everything I've said and done that it is the truth. He will verify it in your spirit because he's a spirit. He will minister to you in a way that I cannot, which is really an interesting thing for Jesus Christ to say. But in order for this work to be completed, it has to be completed in your spirit, by my spirit. And so I'm going to send you my spirit so that your spirit can hear the testimony of my spirit and know that everything you've seen and everything I've done and everything that I've said in this physical world is the spiritual truth, see? He doesn't divide the flesh and the spirit so that the flesh is bad and the spirit is good. 
That's called duality or dualism. And it's an old, old, old heresy. And it exists in the church today. Well, in my flesh I did this, but praise God, I got into the Spirit. No. Jesus does not redeem partialities. Jesus doesn't redeem your spirit and leave your flesh to be wicked. He doesn't doesn't make your spirit holy and leave your flesh in sin. That's not the Bible. The Bible is that you be redeemed and that you be reborn and that you be transformed body, mind, soul, and spirit so that Christ redeems your whole person. And the spirit affirms the flesh. And the flesh affirms what the spirit calls us to because the spirit calls us into all truth. Jesus doesn't want to simply save your heart. Jesus doesn't want to simply save your flesh from the fire of hell. Jesus wants to redeem and transform your entire person because you're that valuable to him in your entirety. You understand? He's going to testify to you about me and you are also to testify because you have been with me from the beginning. From the beginning of what? From the beginning of this new work. Now, you could argue that they were with him from the beginning of creation because all things were created by him and apart from him. Nothing has been created that has been created. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about doing the work of truth by the spirit of truth that lives in us because he's gone to the Father and sent us the spirit and starting this new work in the world. The work of turning it back to the Father. The work of redeeming it, saving it, and then transforming it so that thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then chapter 17, I'm sorry, chapter 16 starts I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, an hour is coming when those who kill you will think that they are doing, that by doing so they are offering worship to God. And they will do this because they have not known the Father or me. Okay? So, affirmation again of what he's just said. I'm sending you the advocate who will lead you into truth. And they're going to hate you for this. Not the world. The people who control the church. He doesn't say they'll put you out of the world. They'll put you out of their liquor stores. They'll put you out of their retail shops. They will put you out of the synagogues. They'll put you out of the church. I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. Now, there's a real big concept here that we can't just gloss over. Because about half of us believe it's impossible for a Christian to fall away. And about half of us believe that a Christian can fall away 
again and again and again and again and again and again and again. Both are are perversions of the truth. At least perversions of the will of God. Does God save you by making you an automaton without free will, without the ability to choose the wrong path, without the ability to fail, without the ability to sin? He does not. And the interesting thing is that I've spent all my life in Wesleyan denominations that at their core believe in Christian holiness, the power not to sin. And and in some branches of those Wesleyan faiths, they believe that the power not to sin is indeed the inability to sin. The ability to live such a righteous life that you never sin. On the flip side, now I'm associated with more Calvinistic folks in a church where a lot of people believe that it doesn't matter what you do, once you're saved, you're saved. And and you can fail by your own will, by trickery, by just walking through a sinful world. You can fail again and again and again and again and again, and it doesn't matter because you were saved. And once you're saved, well, nothing changes that ever. And you can't walk away from that. And my folks from my childhood believed that if you if you got saved and you failed, then you weren't saved and you needed to be saved again. And then if you, if you failed, you weren't really saved, and so you needed to be saved again. And so they put people through this process of being saved again and again and again. Both are wrong. I, I heard a well-known female Christian musician at a conference say, I remember the fourth time I got saved. No, no. You may have come to God for forgiveness for something that you felt conviction over, but you felt that conviction because you belonged to Christ. Had you been unsaved, your seared conscience probably wouldn't have even noticed it. Because by this time, this lady is so godly that whatever she's done is wouldn't be on most people's radar who don't know Christ, right? We're way too hard on ourselves and on each other over who's saved and who's not saved. And if you're saved, are you saved? And how long are you saved? And how well are you saved? And how completely are you saved? Folks, I have said these things to keep you from falling away. Can you fall away? Obviously you can, or Jesus wouldn't have said these things to you, right? If he says these things to you to keep you from falling away, then falling away has to be a possibility. Is it his design or his will? Obviously not. Or he wouldn't give you the instructions necessary to keep you from falling away. Stop arguing in either direction. 
God wants you to come to salvation, to transformation, to new life. He wants you to come to eternal new life. And he never wants you to depart from his hand. For God was not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why? Because repentance leads you to transformation and transformation leads you to eternal life. And that is God's will. Do you still have the ability to fall away? Absolutely. You can choose at any time to say, you know, Jesus, that death on the cross thing, that's just not enough for me. That's not enough to transform me. It's not enough to save me, not enough to keep me. I'm sorry, but you just didn't do enough. I'm walking away to do what I darn well please. I don't want this. I don't want your transformation. I don't want your new life. I'd rather live in addiction. I'd rather live in my alcoholism. I'd rather live in my abusiveness. I'd rather live in my lostness. I'd rather go live in the darkness. And as foolish as that sounds, and as foolish as it is, there are people who do it all the time. And the Bible says, If you've once tasted the heavenly gift, if you've once sampled the things of the age to come, but you go back to your sin, you fall away. While you are in the process of turning your back on God, there remains no sacrifice for your sin. Because to your shame, you go out and you say, well, that crucifixion wasn't enough and you crucify the Son of Glory all over again. You say to Jesus, you're going to have to die some more. You're going to have to shed some more blood in order for me to be saved, in order for me to be transformed. You see, the shortcoming isn't on God's end. The misunderstanding isn't with God. He gave everything for you. You just aren't getting it. You're turning away because you prefer the darkness. It's what John said it would be. Here's the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved the darkness more than the light because their deeds were evil. He came to his own, but his own rejected him. His own would not have him. Guys, gals, he's talking about us. He's not just talking about the Jews of his day. He's talking about anyone who understands their need for transformation and yet clings to their old sin, to their addiction, to their abusiveness, to their narcissism, to their self-motivated stuff. And that ought to convict us to the very core. I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. How bad is it going to get to make you fall away? They will throw you out of their church. They will throw you out of their church. And if you read the book of Acts, it happens again and again and again. He was absolutely right. This new wine isn't going to go into the old wineskin. That system of faith is inadequate to contain this. And when it starts to press the limits, 
the church will kick you out. And it's as true in the Christian church today as it was the Jewish church then. You dive into your Bible. You start to let the Holy Spirit take a hold of you and direct you. And you start calling the people of your church into a new kind of relationship with an active, dynamic, moving Holy Spirit. And there's a whole bunch of people that will get really uncomfortable with you really quickly. And they'll either leave or ask you to leave. Jesus saw that it was coming. An hour is coming when those who kill you will think that by doing so, they are doing God's work. How long did that take? Not long. There, the Apostle Paul is probably alive when Jesus is uttering these words. It's not going to be long. And in fact, now, I see people in my nation, in the United States of America, advocating for the killing of those who disagree with their ideas. And I see people advocating for the murder of Christians because Christians stand up for the lives of unborn children. It, I didn't think I'd live to see this day. I didn't think it would, it would happen in my lifetime and maybe not in my children's lifetime. And now it's happening. They will do this because they have not known the Father or me. But I have said these things to you so that when that hour comes, you may remember that I told you about them. I warned you. So that you can keep your head on and say, hmm, this is exactly what Jesus told us would happen. And here it is. It happened in their lifetime. It's happening in yours and mine. How do we know that? Because he has sent us the spirit of truth. Now, a word of warning. Everything you hear on the internet is not the truth. Everything that you see in a YouTube video is not the truth. Everything you hear on a podcast, even this one, is not the truth. God has given you the Holy Spirit. I hear a lot of times people say, God has given you a brain and he expects you to use it. Well, God has given you a brain. What he expects you to make use of is the spirit of truth that he has sent you. If you're a Christian, you've asked Jesus Christ, we say, into your heart. Not a bad illustration. You've invited Jesus into your heart to live in you, to be the Lord of your life, right? You have entered into a relationship with the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. True? And he said, I'm going to send you this advocate, this friend, this defender to guide you into all truth. He gives you discernment. He gives you the ability to look at things and determine 
what is the truth and what isn't. And it isn't the truth simply because I say so. It isn't the truth simply because someone on the internet put together a slick slideshow and told you who was conspiring against whom. It is, it is discouraging to me to see how many of my friends have been dragged off into one weird theory or another. And when, and when they don't come to pass, when they don't bear fruit, the false prophets that uttered them just utter the next one and drag well-meaning people, my friends, along with them into one conspiracy after another. Now, the conspiracy theories that have come to pass, well, those are truth. And I don't want to name them here because it'll offend someone. And I don't want this to be a divisive moment. I just want you, in the space where you live, to look at our world and understand that some of the information that we are given is absolutely true and some of it is absolutely false and then there is every shade of 256 shades of gray in between. And most of it is some shade or another. And everybody who claims to be a prophet is not a prophet. The Old Testament is very clear. If a person wants to adopt the prophetic role, they are adopting an Old Testament role. They are adopting a role in the Old Covenant. And so they bring on themselves the judgments of that covenant. If they take the Old Testament role of prophet, where they are going to speak for God, then they take the requirements and the guidelines and the punishments of that Old Testament role. The New Testament role of prophet is a proclaimer. It's a preacher. It's not one who, who tells the future. It's not one who says, this is coming and that is coming. The New Testament prophet proclaims God's word for this moment in this situation, and that's it. He's not trying to foretell. These folks on, on social media who are trying to foretell and saying stupid things like, I get the word television. Television is going to be so very important in the next six or eight weeks. Watch for the word television and see what comes to pass because God is going to speak somehow through television. Oh, for crying out loud. That's the dumbest stuff. That's fake prophecy. And when a person starts to do fake prophecy, the judgment that has to come to them is that Old Testament role that befalls false prophets. And the Old Testament says that if what a prophet foretells, not what he proclaims, what he foretells, if what a prophet foretells does not come to pass, then you take him outside the city gates and you stone him to death. You put an end to him. Now, I'm not advocating we stone anybody to death these days. Now we're back to those people who want to kill Christians. No, I'm telling you that if a person prophesies, if they pretend to be foretelling anything, 
and that doesn't come to pass, you should stone the idea, the program, the internet presentation, the live videos, the YouTube channel. You should put an end to that in your life. Cut yourself off from it. I have a myriad of friends who are dragged off into the Q conspiracy. And they thought Q was was some government authority, maybe even Donald Trump himself, trying to get secret messages out to his followers on the outside. The Kraken is going to be released. The great judgment is coming on all the pedophilia ring of the Clintons. All of that crazy stuff. And every time a new foretelling would come out, I would say to them, okay, okay, let's pretend that this is actually going to happen. Let's say it does. When? Well, Q says, now Q didn't ever really say. He didn't ever really foretell a time. He just said it was going to happen. And then some Q interpreter would typically say, well, by this time, if the Kraken's going to be released to save the election of Donald Trump, it has to happen by. First they said November, and then they said December, and then they said January. It didn't happen. And I, all along the way, I would, I would ask them, if it doesn't happen, will you agree with me to stop following this Q nonsense? I had friends who were about to get divorces over this. And I would encourage their spouses, ask them to agree with you that if this doesn't happen, if the Kraken's not released and the election isn't reversed by January the 6th, will you agree to stop this foolishness and come back to your family? And, and most of them did and most of them have. But you see how easily dragged away we can be by what looks prophetic, what looks like a foretelling that, that would be something we would want to happen. The Bible foretold this. The day will come when people will ignore sound teaching to run off after what their itching ears long to hear. And that's what's happening in this culture. Jesus sent us the spirit of truth to keep us from falling into those traps. Today, I want you to look around with new eyes, with greater discernment, and begin to say, does this, does this support the word of God in the Bible? Does it further the kingdom of heaven? Does it bring me closer to God? Does it bring new souls into the kingdom? Or does it divide us as to who knows the truth and who doesn't know the truth? Because that's not God to be divisive like that. Does it divide us up over who truly believes and who who doesn't? Who's truly a Republican and who's a rhino? Who's truly a Democrat and who's a yellow dog? Because if it divides us, it isn't the Holy Spirit. Go into the world today with new eyes and begin to judge for yourself the truth of God in your world.